Support for MPB comes from the Mississippi Museum of Art in Jackson. What Became of Dr. Smith by artist Noah Satterstrom is on view now through September 22, 2024. Learn more at msmuseumart.org. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Hi, I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, professor of internal medicine and pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. On the original Southern Remedy, we answer questions about all aspects of your health and share some of the latest medical information in the news. You can listen to the show on Wednesdays at 11 on MPB Think Radio, or you can subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy on your preferred podcasting app. Hello and welcome. Thanks for joining the Arts Hour. I'm Larry Morrissey with the Mississippi Arts Commission, and this is our weekly turn at the microphone here at MPB. We work with a partner with MPB every week to bring you an in-depth discussion with a different creative Mississippian. We talk to visual artists, we talk to musicians, craftspeople, and people who help promote the arts in their community. Today I'm on the road. It may sound a little different. I'm out of the studio and I'm on the road, on location, at Art Place Mississippi in Greenwood, Mississippi, and I'm visiting with uh, Yolanda Van Heerden. Hello, welcome. Hi there, Larry. So Yolanda, you are a, a visual artist. You, you are a member of the Arts Commission's artist roster. I wanted to get that out there before we get to allowance. So, so we'll talk about that a little bit later. But you're a visual artist based here in Greenwood, and, and you work here at Art Place, among other things that you do. Uh, so for people who, who are new to you, why don't you just kind of give them a little overview about the kind of work that you do? All right. Um, so I'm originally from South Africa, and I've lived in Greenwood, Mississippi now seven, eight years. I am a vis- I'm an artist. I do mostly sewing. Let me let me start at the beginning. When I arrived in Greenwood, uh, I have a small company called Tomboy Art, and when I started Tomboy Art, what I did was metal work, and I love color and I love recycling. So. I've always been fascinated in America with license plates. And it just, I hated the fact that people would throw them away. They're so pretty and so colorful, and they just are lovely to work with. So that's how it started. And because recycling is my absolute passion, that's when I started with sewing and making these carousel skirts out of old sweaters. So what I would do with these is cut them up and re-sew them, and I learned this technique with a special machine. And having lived in Greenwood, bumped into uh, this fabulous organization called Art Place, and it's a, an organization that serves the community, and I found a, a spot here where I could teach sewing to kids. Actually, little kids as young as six, and I've had workshops, sewing, quilting workshops, with adults as old as, I guess, 65, maybe. I don't want to insult anybody. Um, well, let's let's go all the way back. And, and so you mentioned that you're from South Africa. Tell us a little bit about growing up there as it relates to your work as an artist. How, how, how has the culture that you came out of kind of, kind of infused your work that you do now? Well, uh, I feel that everything I do relates directly to the way I grew up in South Africa. South Africa is an extremely vibrant country. Uh, It's not, you know, uh, 
people use all sorts of recyclables. Nothing gets thrown away. But everything is beautiful. It's not ugly. It's not trash. People would would take all sorts of plastic containers, cut them up, and create brand new shower curtains, for instance. So it it can be anything. And, you know, South Africa is such a, in so many ways, despite everything you see, it still is a very celebratory and joyous country. Um, People sing when they work. People find pleasures in the smallest of things. And I feel that aspect is something that I carry with me every day. It's, it's inescapable for me in my art. I was uh, looking at the, I, I believe it's uh, an article that Martha Foose wrote about you on the Mississippi Folklife page, one of our projects at the Arts Commission. And she met in, in that story talks a little bit about your, your grandmother who was a uh, sewed or was a seamstress as well. Did she Right. teach you at all in terms of that stuff? <clears throat> so uh, my grandmother on my father's side was absolutely a phenomenal woman. I try to emolliate her in everything I do. She was she was a farmer. She was, uh, she raised, uh, she had, I don't want to be wrong, but something like 29 to 30 grandchildren. And she made us all clothes. But the way she made clothes was she would ask us to come and stand and she'd measure us, measure us from under our arms down to our knees, waists, length of arms, you know, necklines, everything. And then make these absolutely gorgeous outfits for us. And she made outfits for everyone. Um, So that's like one of the little things she did. I mean, she was a great cook. She was a great baker. She did everything. And I I just absolutely loved her. I just found her to be so, just so artistic. Did she teach you at all any sewing or was that just something you saw her do? You know, she did not specifically sit us down and teach us. She just did everything while we were around her the whole time. And so everything she did was something you learned. You you were constantly just learning while she was modeling. And I feel that is the way I like to teach as well by modeling. I think it's the it's the best way for someone to learn. So you came first time to the US as a as a high school student or a high school age is that right? Or I was an exchange student. Exchange student, yeah. Uh, and I went to Troy, Montana and I um, did my senior year there again and it was absolutely wonderful. One of the best experiences ever. Was that kind of like in the I mean I don't know where that is and was it is a city or was it a small town environment? Tell us a little bit about it. I mean I'm sure it was a like almost like the opposite world of South Africa in terms of culture and that. At the time when they told me I was going to go to Troy, Montana, both my parents and I, we got out maps to look and see where is Montana because in South Africa at the time, the only places I knew about was New York, California, Mississippi, and Texas. And so Montana was this foreign place. And we looked it up. Turns out that Troy, Montana is this tiny little town in the north-northwest of the state, about 40 miles from Canada and like 18 miles from Idaho, way up in the Rocky Mountains, pretty much the last frontier before you get to Canada. How was that as your first experience in, in the United States? I'm sure it was just so distinctive compared to being in the suburbs somewhere or something like that, I would think. 
Exactly. Um, <clears throat> going, you know, my host family wrote to me and said not to get worried because I was going to change planes a few times flying there. And every time I fly, it would be a smaller and smaller plane. And so that's what happened. You, The final plane was probably 18-seater and you fly right up into the mountains. Um, but as someone who have always had an open mind and ready to experience a new adventure. To me, it was wonderful meeting this new family. Uh, it was a very, very small town that I found entirely fascinating. And in South Africa, growing up in the apartheid years, everything was censored from us. So my learning tools for what America was like back then, and this was before computers, phones, and any of that, was Archie Comics and Mad Magazine. And to me, going to Troy, Montana was like living my dream of going and being an, an Archie comic because this school, you didn't have to wear a uniform. The kids were like the, the kids in the comic. It was like coming to life. It was, I loved it. Plus in this kind of amazing natural environment as well, right? I mean, that was the vistas and all of that exactly. must have been kind it, of pretty mind-blowing. It, it, well, what blew my mind also was that in South Africa, I went to a very academic school. And, you know, back then living in apartheid, it was, you know, we had the schools that were phenomenal. And it was obviously very segregated. Coming here, it wasn't. But... The school, my school in South Africa was so academic. I had six subjects that I took for the, my entire high school career from the age of 13. Coming to Montana, I had a subject in the winter that was called cross-country skiing. And I, I just could not believe that this is possible. Uh, it was a whole new world. It was wonderful. I loved the nature. In the summertime, we swam in the lakes and in the winter time we ice skated on it i i th i thought it was such a incredible fabulous way for people to use their environment you're listening to the arts hour and our guest today is yolandi van heerden she's an uh, visual artist who, based in Greenwood, Mississippi. She's a member of the Mississippi Arts Commission's Artist Roster and uh, it teaches many classes uh, for all different uh, age groups and types here in Greenwood. So after, did, did you return to South Africa for college or did you stay here? Or, and, no, and I returned back to South Africa and I, I did not go to college. I went and I did some apprenticeship with a jeweler um, and I was a jeweler's apprentice for, for a while. I enjoyed that very much. But in the end, I decided that I wanted to emigrate to America and managed to find a way to move out here. And I was sponsored by La Brea Bakery, phenomenal bakery in uh, Los Angeles, and got my permanent residence through them. And here I am. <laughs> Just got established. Yes. So you were you were hitting Los Angeles in kind of like the, what the nineteen eighties or uh, was that your kind of time period? In, in the there? late eighties, yeah. yes. And I worked at a La Brea Bakery and Campanile restaurant, and that was as a young girl when I met my friend Martha Foos. Uh, it was rather funny um, meeting. We would go in, I would go in in the mornings at four to bake, and then at 
eight o'clock we'd open the doors and serve breakfast. Well, this particular morning I was rushing to get the potatoes sliced and I was slicing them on the meat slicer when I nicked the fing my front finger and had to go to the hospital and get stitches and I was off work for a little bit. But this is the morning she walked in the door looking for work and was offered my job while I was absent. So when I came back after riding workers' comp for a little while, there was this girl from Mississippi with this incredible accent. And I was just so fascinated that she would say words like pear jam, but it would have like four or five syllables, like pear jam. <laughs> <laughs> and her mom bought me a ticket to come out and visit here shortly thereafter. And I fell in love with the South. Everything from the moment we left Houston, the people on the planes, attitude changed. Everyone, I don't know, it was strange. It was everyone suddenly just talked to each other. And when we landed in Jackson, you could walk off onto the tarmac. And it, to me, that it was just such an African thing to do. I loved that. And I, I, it was like I could feel the heartbeat of the, the Delta, you know, the way I felt, feel it in South Africa when you land. And I, that was it. I knew that this is where I wanted to live. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app. We're back on the Arts Hour. I'm Larry Morrissey and our guest today is Yolanda Van Heerden. She's a member of the Arts Commission's artist roster and a visual artist based in Greenwood. Before the break, you were talking about your first time getting here. And I did want to mention uh, Martha Foose, of course. People may know her for her uh, many cookbooks that she's written over the, maybe the past 10, 15 years. Uh, Screen Doors and Sweet Tea, I believe, is the one of them. Um, so she, she is a well-known kind of creative in her own right. But I was curious, you mentioned about kind of getting off the plane and, and, and kind of feeling that you know, some of the vibes that may be from Africa. So as someone, as a native of Africa, and people talk about the connections of Africa to Mississippi, having been here a while, what are, can you speak to that at all? What are some things that you see that are, are there cultural things that kind of jump out at you that, that can make that connection? Definitely. Just the very nature of how people are here is so similar with the way people are in South Africa. And it's specifically in the South that I find this happen. People are friendly, but they're not just friendly. They are, they sort of adopt you immediately. It doesn't matter where, where you are. If you go to the grocery store, if you go to put gas, and if you get your car fixed, if you get your shoes repaired, there's a conversation that happens right away where someone talks to you, and it's not just a silly conversation. It's something they... And they, they'll remember you and they'll talk about something and see you later in the week and go right back to that conversation. In South Africa, it's the same way. People, people adopt you. They're friendly and they want to know you and they want to know what's going on with you and they want to share a funny story with you. And at the same time, parallel with that is a, this wonderful sense of humor that I find in the South and that I find in South Africa too. It's everyone just has a twinkle in their eye when, you know, they just don't, nobody takes themselves too seriously. 
kind of going back to your time in, I'm just curious, you've, you've made a couple stops before you came to Mississippi. Back in Los Angeles, what were the elements of that time in Los Angeles that kind of things that you learned or things that influenced that, that you got interested in that kind of have come into your work as an artist? All, all the friends that I had there, I would say like this, all, everybody, all my friends that I had and that I still have are all very artistic. And I feel that, you know, I am definitely a product of everyone that I know. Not, I don't think any single part of me is really original. It's you take a little bit of everyone that you meet and then hear that makes you and that makes the stuff that you do. And I feel in Los Angeles, I was so extremely fortunate to be surrounded with highly, highly creative people in their own fields and people that have set the tone for my whole career as an artist. And that, you know, I definitely bring that with me. Were you getting started as an artist then or were you just still kind of working at different things or were you I starting to draw or anything or I, doing um, creation, creating? You know, I think that the creative spark has always been present. It doesn't matter where I was or at any point in my life. Even as a kid, I would go and harvest all the old horse bridles and take them home and make shoes out of them or find beads and go and make jewelry for everybody with old wire that I found. And in Los Angeles, the same thing. I would go and you know, go to the art store and f discover a new type of uh, plaster and make m crazy masks. And, you know, I just would give them away to friends because it was just a fun thing that I did. I constantly always made little kooky little things um, and just I always explored my next, you know, endeavor. When did it go from being something you just did for your own pleasure and maybe sharing with your friends to something like, oh, I can take this now. I want to kind of put it out there, sell it, display it, or, or whatever. Well, I lived in Los Angeles for a long time and uh, met somebody and moved to the outskirts of Las Vegas in Red Rock Canyon and a beautiful farm, a ranch, just gorgeous. But uh, I was very lonely. I didn't have many friends there. And I think it's there where I actually really started to sew a lot and work a lot more with metal and took the step to open a little online shop. And I remember when I put my first thing on the shop, it was a license plate sign that said, Peace. I hadn't even finished putting it on and it was sold before I completely put on all my photos. And so that's where it started. And I thought, oh, wait, this is interesting. I can actually do more. You know? And so uh, from there, it started to grow and grow and grow. Describe your, your license plate art for, for the listener. The license plate art. Okay. Um, so, you know, with the license plates or with the skirts or with my bags that I make, every single thing I do, I have sort of a, a running story going on in my mind while I make it. And in license plate art, uh, say, for instance, I make someone a, a sign that's dear to them. I'll, I'll go and find out what they like and or if this is for someone, you know, things about them, where they're from or specific icons that is important to them. And so I will incorpor all, incorporate all of this into the sign, 
colors, specific colors. It's it's a visual. It's like a visual little essay, I guess. You know, something. That's how I work. But it's it, physically, it's you're, you're cutting oh, kind of the number just just so they can mean. get a, a, okay, so, a just a little bit of a yes. visual picture of it. Yeah. Uh, yes, I buy specific license plates, um, and then I have a metal shear in the beginning. When I started it, I have this, I still have it. It's like a big scissors that you cut each uh, letter off. You just keep cutting it. And I would sit in front of the TV and just cut and cut and cut. But now I have a metal shear. So I slice them all up. And then I start to put the different letters and numbers together uh, in my composition. Is it, are, are license plates easy to find these days? Is some Sometimes it seems like people kind of hoard them or they... Oh, absolutely. They, everybody thinks they're valuable now. So is, well, it, is it harder to find them than it used to it's, be? It's um, not harder to find, but there's a huge organization, the license, National license, license Plate Organization of America. And it, there are collectors and there are thousands and thousands of dealers. They, just like you have gun shows, you have license plate shows. People that get together on weekends and they'll trade, they'll sell. They will uh, exchange, and um, a lot of them have online shops, and you can go and search their shops and buy whatever you want. I mean, there are plates that are $500 a pair, and then you can buy, you know, two for 10. It just depends on what you're looking for, but it's a huge, huge business. And then I guess did the did your sewing kind of develop kind of in parallel to that, to the metalwork as well? Or? Yes. Uh, it, there's uh, Both of them, there are so many similarities, although the one is very soft to touch and the one is very hard, but they both are, it's sort of like patchwork, you know, the way people make quilts. It's putting it together like that. The sewing started like that as well. I had scraps of fabric and I uh, just started to put them together and I actually had a class at Art Place where... I was teaching kids entrepreneurship, and we made bags. And it's from that bag, and I started to research bags, that I started to make my own bags. And I didn't like the way that the women whose pattern I was following, I didn't like the way that her style, so I developed my own style of putting together different patches. And coming from South Africa, we have such absolutely beautiful, vibrant, traditional fabric called shue shue. That was the catalyst for these bags. So I started with shue shue fabric. And my other passion is Japanese fabric, uh, in particular furoshiki. So combining these different fabrics from all over the world, it's interesting how they all tell a story. And I don't know, I, f- I just think that there's this lovely thing where combining it all it it's it's sort of like a melting pot but that's you know how my 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 sewing story goes a bit if you're just tuning in this is the art sour i'm larry morrissey our guest today is yolanda van heerden she's a visual artist based in greenwood mississippi and a member of the arts commission's artist roster and and so looking at your your website which is tomboyart.com you kind of have i mean you have a lot of different sewing stuff you had but you have some kind of here are the marquee pieces. Like uh, I think there's like a silent wind chimes. Si- silent wind chimes is the one I was thinking of. Yeah, talk a little bit about that. It's an interesting concept. So silent wind chimes, they they sort of remind you of Tibetan prayer flags, except these are 
made with all sorts of scrap fabric because I, again, have this complete compulsion not to want to throw away and waste anything. And so things end up in these flags. But the name Silent Wind Chimes comes from the idea that, for me anyway, when I hear a wind chime, the sound resonates in my brain. And the way I feel about these flags that you see them and then the visual also resonates in your brain. So it's like a silent wind chime. But they really started off back four or five years ago when my friends here in town with Design Build erected all the Katrina cottages in Baptist Town. And I decided to make silent wind chimes to connect all the cottages with a big grand opening. And it was just beautiful. And it turns, I don't know, it just has such a lovely vibrant look when you see them and and visually they're kind of like on one strand but and, and maybe kind of like a, a a series of pennants but they're all unique and individual exactly yes they're, they're, and when people order them i can i cannot say this is going to be the same as the last string because it just depends what scraps are on the floor or how much i feel i need to add trim onto them whatever you know is the is the South African fabric that you talked about? I mean, you talk about kind of the story of that. Is the fabric itself kind of? Ha- I guess it has a. I've seen you know when you've shown pictures of your work and that that a lot of it is has images on the fabric. So is are they are they kind of like story fabrics in and of themselves? Do they have yes, meanings? They are. Yeah. Uh, it, the shui shui is printed on one side and it's printed. It's, by the old uh, printers in South Africa still. It's big old copper rolls. So they roll the ink on the one side of the fabric and the other side does not show the pattern. The other side is just solid. And um, the it used to always be brown and white or indigo and white. And now because it's so popular, they print them in all colors, pink, purple, green, everything. And it's Sometimes they'll print animals on them, and it's always beautiful designs or extremely complicated little geometric designs. And sometimes they'll print them in panels with little stitch lines. So women can cut right on the stitch lines and sew skirts together. Uh, so, yes, that's and so there are three main houses that do shui shui, and you always know when you have an original because the back will have a print that says three women or three leopards or three cats. Those are the houses? That, Those are the, the three design houses, houses, yes. Okay. And that's something you, I guess, can order online these days or do you have uh, family or friends send that to you? Or? When I go to South Africa, I always put two suitcases inside of each other so that I can just go and buy fabric and bring it back in the, I, you, you, it's not worth it to ship it. Shipping is too expensive. But then you also kind of get to go to the market and pick everything out oh, that yes, you want. Oh, yeah, yes, yes. It's so much fun. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine it just be like too much, you know, like if you've been away from that and walk in and just see all of it, it's probably yes. overwhelming. For a while there, I would come home with so much fabric. And now I've learned so much through this process of constantly learning and making and making and making that my sense and idea of color has matured a bit and and designs so that I 
really have a specific style or color or feel of a fabric that I'm after. So you can kind of sort it out in just visually. My, like basically my editing skills for yeah. fabric has gotten better. Oh, cool. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Contractor ever tell you the price of something and it sounds so high you think, eh, maybe I'll try it myself. Some jobs just aren't that difficult, and yes, you can do it. If you want to find out how to do those things, listen to Fix It 101, podcast everywhere. We're back for the final segment of the Arts Hour. I'm Larry Morrissey. I'm up in Greenwood, Mississippi, visiting with Yolande Van Heerden. She is an, a member of our artist roster at the Arts Commission and a visual artist who teaches here in Greenwood. So we hadn't talked about your teaching yet, but that's a, a big part of what you do here in Greenwood. And uh, we're in art. We're in Art Place, Mississippi, which is a local community, a community-based arts nonprofit where you teach. Um, so maybe talk about. Talk a little bit about your development as a teacher. When you got here, did you start teaching as soon as you kind of landed in Greenwood, or has this developed over time? Uh, actually, no. When I when I lived in Los Angeles, I got my early education credits, and I'm a qualified preschool teacher, and that's where a lot of my drive for art started. Um, so. Here at Art Place, I do a variety of classes. Actually, that's wrong. I used to do art classes at my house. I had a home studio for the longest. Ever since when I moved to Greenwood, I had a huge room dedicated in my first house to art with kids. This was freestyle, Montessori, uh, Emilia Reggio style art. And... I continued that studio when I uh, moved to another place in Greenwood. And finally, at Art Place, they asked me if I wanted to bring that style to Art Place and, you know, broaden it so that more kids can come. And so that's what happened here. Um, we have an art club every first and third Saturday, and it's uh, lots of fun. Uh, kids can come and they can explore many different stations and many different mediums and it's just sort of a self-driven space where they can move from table to table and do a variety style arts um then i also have weekly art classes for kids that parents can sign their kid kids up for um and we also have scholarships for for any of the classes so it's possible for anyone to come as long as I don't exceed my maximum number of students. And that's sort of the art thing. And then the sewing, I do sewing workshops. And those we have always presented free of charge to kids because we want them to come. And it uh, takes an enormous amount of work to raise the money for this because sewing is expensive. Um, the sewing started about five years ago. When a friend of mine asked me what what I need to to do my sewing vision, and uh, I told him I needed sewing machines, so he donated five hundred dollars, and I bought four machines, some strong workhorses, and started like that in the small little room here at Art Place, the copy room, and then uh, the junior auxiliary the next year donated five more machines to the program, and 
I have a few machines of my own and put them also with the program. And now we have a vibrant sewing workshop. For instance, this semester we've we have two. We have tweens and teens and. We currently, what I do is in the springtime, I do Project Runway Greenwood, where each kid makes an outfit, and then we have a fashion show, which is absolutely fabulous and out of this world. And then uh, in the fall, last fall, we did a quilt workshop, and it, that was brilliant. Uh, I had we had twenty quilts. Twenty kids each made their own quilt, and. The youngest in the group was a boy, Joseph, who was six years old. He also made a full quilt. Um, and then we had a, in the Christmas parade, we had a big quilt float with all the quilts on display. And I also did a community quilt at St. Francis with a group of kids there who each participated in making a huge quilt that's on now on display at the school. And I just want to mention this, two years ago, we did. I did six workshops. I have to backtrack. When the sewing workshop started here, I wanted to do this project runway. I had the first year I had nine kids, and then the second year I had eighteen kids, and then the third year when I had the sewing workshop, I had eighty-six kids apply. Oh, oh my gosh! And I asked the board wow. that. Can we, can we do this? Because I don't want to turn any kids away. Because the whole idea is to provide community service for, for our teens. And the board agreed and said it was fine. So I had six workshops that semester. And our fashion show had, I think, 74 kids walk the runway. And it was absolutely the most wonderful thing. It was just a blast. And now, so in the... In the classes, you you kind of start before you actually start. They there's some some basic sewing technique before you kind of move on to actually cutting patterns and things like that, right? Talk talk about kind of the, a little bit of the steps of of how you, where you take the kids from. Um, okay, so when it, when it's a brand new student, we do the basics. Uh, I do I go over just. You know, when I, I, I teach the kids from an artist's point of view, I don't approach it as a teacher. So my style is very different and it's very free and loose. And I think the kids respond to that very well. What we do in the beginning is go over just a few basic things and I describe the sewing machine in very visual terms. You know, this is their car that they are driving. They have to keep their eye on the road. They have to steer it. When they take off from the stop sign, you do it slowly. You know, you don't floor it. Just little things like that. And the way I describe certain um, pieces of the machine, for instance, the thread uptake, I'll talk to them that that's like a cobra, a snake. And, you know, you want to see it up. And that's the per perfect way to stop. And these little tools help them to kind of get going on the machine and in the beginning, we do some paper exercises just to start and stop and not lose their thread. And gradually, as they learn to do the basics, we'll then start to go over threading and cleaning their machine. Because I find that if I would dump all that knowledge on them right at the beginning, it's a bit off-putting because kids and grown-ups too, we all want to just do the thing. We don't want to 
get hampered down by all the technicalities. You just want to sew. You want to have fun. And so I, that's, I, that's how I teach them. We just And then in the beginning, what we'll do is we might make name pillows or just some a few fun, easy things before we dig into making the actual garments. You're listening to the Arts Hour on MPB. I'm Larry Morrissey, and our guest today is Yolanda Van Heerden. She is a member of the Arts Commission's artist roster, and she's a visual artist based in Greenwood. A lot, I, I think some of the videos that have come out about the... Uh, about your workshops, the sewing workshops are really great, just showing the kind of the development of the kids. Because there's a lot of, you know, there's the old saw of like, you know, kids just want to like look at computers, they don't want to do things. And this just kind of puts the lie to that Mm -hmm. immediately. And I've just, could you maybe just give a one or two like kind of success story? I'm sure you've had many of of kids that have really developed as creative people through these workshops. Boy, there are so many there's a few different things. For instance, my new tween group that I have, I have a brand new group that started this semester, and they're so darling. Now, they are at that place where they've, they kind of know how to operate the machine. So they want, they, all of them have just about finished their garments, and I have two boys in the class as well, which is, for me, always a good, good thing. But at this point, I've told them that if they finish their garment they can make a few small things and sell at our art place holiday market and they can get 75 percent of the money and then art place gets 25 percent so all they want to do right now is just sew and make and it's very rough I mean you know we have to talk about slowing down and learning how to do this the right way but just to watch them so enthusiastic they the class used to start at 4 p.m. And the kids now arrive at 3 p.m. because they just want to come and sew. They have no patience. They don't want to wait until 4. And I feel, yes, show up, come. It's fine. I rather, you know, have them come and sew. And 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 it's just darling to watch them. They are a bunch of twittering little birds, just sit and sew and talk. Um, and then quickly I've had, you know, in the springtime we go on a field trip to Delta State to visit the fashion merchandising department. And I had a student enroll there last year, which when I asked her what she was going to do after school, she said she was going to Delta State. And I asked her what for what? And she said fashion merchandising. And I said, that's great. What made you decide that? And she said, because we went there on the field trip. So to me, that is a bonus. It's a plus. It's like, yes, that's what I want. And has the idea kind of of kids being able to create their own clothes. I'm wondering, do you see a kind of uh, vibrating out into the community? The idea like, well, this is my, I made this as opposed to something that I bought. I think that would be kind of like a new point of pride among teenagers. In, in Absolutely. Town. I have a, another student, a, a boy that was in a class a couple of years ago, Marlon. He actually has started his own little business. He's got a very fancy name for all the things he makes. Some Mouton by Marlin or something like that. He has a Facebook page and people can order special pillows and special bow ties. And uh, he's got a brilliant eye for design. So uh, I think that's remarkable that he started up and figured it out that he can make his own business. And every now and then when I have a bulk of extra fabric, I will go drop it off at his mom's place of work and 
a few days later, I'll see the fabric on his page with like <laughs> new things that Marlin has made. And I think that's fantastic. That is wonderful. Um, what are some things that you've got? Uh, so uh, maybe coming up in the spring, do you have upcoming classes or special things that you're working on that you want people to know about, like coming up uh, in early 2020? Coming up in the spring, I will do another project runway for sewing. I also will go back to doing some adult quilting classes because I have so many adults asking me that they want to come back to quilt and um, do definitely do some more of the art classes with kids. But personally, I want to find some time because I'm also busy doing a whole series of personal quilts that I'm basing on fairy tales, the Grimm Brothers and Hans Christian Andersen fairy tales, but the real ones, the old school, old style ones. The um, scary ones. The scary yeah. ones. And um, I've so far I have worked on the Three Little Bears and Goldilocks, and uh, I've learned a lot about that just Actually, the original story was called The Three Bachelor Bears and the Old Woman. So that story has taken a lot of twists and turns to modern day. But also, my quilts that I make are with old found fabrics and predominantly denim, which makes these a lot of fun. Yeah, those old, the actual old Grimm brothers, what they call the Kinder and Hausmärchen, mm-hmm. were... They were pretty, you realize how sanitized they yes. were for us because there's a lot of children being eaten and uh-huh. just horrible things happening in yeah. there. Yeah, not nice, but yeah. but great. And one other thing we want to note before, before we head off is that as a member of the artist roster, you are a, a visual artist who's available to come and do short term, one day or whatever, whatever you can work out, what people would be interested in, workshops in communities around the state. And uh, people can apply for grants through the Arts Commission to help kind of support those things. So hopefully if you if this sounds of interest to you, you can uh, reach out to her through the Arts Commission, uh, through your website, the Tomboy Art, or through the Arts Commission's artist roster uh, listing as well. Do you have other uh, things that you want to uh, let people know about before we uh, close out for today? Any prom- other promotional things or stuff that's happening at Art Place? Uh, you know, when we walk out the door, I will probably think of 10, but right now, um, there's nothing that comes to mind. Um, but Art Place Mississippi is the, the organization that you work with here. Yes, at, Art Place Mississippi. And they, uh, they'd be easy to find on the web, I think. Yes, you. yes, artplacems.com. And we are constantly adding classes, uh, grow, uh, adults, kids, um, are trying to get going to do some more workshops with the two senior centers in town because it's a lot of fun. I find working with the seniors, making all sorts of weird things. Um, but yeah, artplacems.com. Yolani, thanks so much for having us today. 